1914, there was a young man named Howard Thurman who had just finished seventh grade. And even though he was a very bright young man, there was no thought of him going into the eighth grade because at that time in Daytona, Florida, there was no eighth grade, nor was there any high school for black students. Now, his uh, principal of his, his elementary school, being a, a, a godly man and a, a believer, felt that the Lord was really instructing him to take little Howard and to teach him the eighth grade curriculum, just one-on-one. He took extra time out from being a principal to teach this young man uh, eighth grade. So he became the first uh, black student to ever graduate from the eighth grade in Daytona, Florida, and he was ready for high school. Unfortunately, high schools for black students at that time in Florida were very far and few, and most of them were private schools, which meant that he had to pay for school, pay for tuition. And since there was not one in his hometown, he was also going to have to pay for room and board. And he did not come from a wealthy family. In fact, his father had died when he was seven years old, and his mother had done everything she could just to keep the family fed, so there was no extra money to be paying for school. So young Howard started doing some some, uh, just odd jobs to try to make money so he could go to school. And he wasn't making enough money. He wasn't, didn't look like he was going to be able to, to make his tuition, although it was only $5 a month. Isn't that kind of crazy thinking <laughs> 100 years ago it was only $5 a month to, to feed you, to house you, and to educate you? He was not making enough money to be able to do this. And walking through his hometown there of Daytona one day, he noticed uh, a big grand house, and he knew that it was the house of a man named James Gamble. It was his vacation house. And James Gamble is the man who helped start Procter & Gamble. So if you've ever heard of Procter & Gamble, it's, it's still a big company going today. And he was a very wealthy man. And Howard Thurman knew and had heard stories about Mr. Gamble, what a strong Christian he was and how, how generous he was and how in his home state of Ohio that he had given money to... Uh, to the uh, YMCA and had given money to help uh, further the education of black students there. So he wanted to be able to ask Mr. Gamble if he would help him. But unfortunately, it was not a time during the year when Mr. Gamble was at his vacation house. So he decided that he would write him a letter. The only problem is he had no clue what Mr. Gamble's address was up in Ohio. So being just a little bit discouraged, he decided to walk home, and as he was passing a house, a lady came out of a house and started calling to him, and he went over to see what she wanted, and she said, you look like a very trustworthy young man. Will you mail this letter for me? He said he would. And as he's walking to the post office to mail this letter for this lady, he looks down, and this letter is addressed to James Gamble in Cincinnati, Ohio. So he got the address and he sent his letter to Mr. Gamble as well. And Mr. Gamble quickly responded and said that he would cover all of the expenses 
for Howard Thurman to go to high school as long as he was in school. So he got to go to high school. He became the valedictorian of his, his class. He went to college. He was also the valedictorian of his class. And as he was graduating with his bachelor's degree, he knew that the Lord was calling him to go into the ministry. Even though there were people that tried to talk him out of it, you know, they said, oh, you're way too smart to go into the ministry. Don't waste your life in the ministry because, you know, those of us that stand up here, we're, we're the dummies of the group. But he went, to, went on to uh, seminary, and he had a very long and illustrious ministry. And one of the great things that he got to do was in 1942, he moved his family out to San Francisco, and he co-founded and co-pastored the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples. That was the name of it. I had, I had to memorize that. The Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples. Peoples. It was the first truly non-denominational interracial church in the United States. It had a, a black pastor and a white pastor, and they both pastored together. And the church flourished, went really, really well, began to uh, influence other churches all throughout the United States, and, and Howard Thurman's fame, if you want to call it, was, was just risen, and people began to hear about him. And uh, after he'd been there about nine years, Boston University, which is a Methodist uh, university, had opened up its doors to black students to start to come in. And the president of Boston University had heard Howard Thurman speaking. And he invited Howard Thurman to come and be the dean of chapel at Boston University. At first, Howard didn't want to go because, you know, things were going good in California, and who would trade California for cold old Boston anyway? But through prayer, he really believed that the Lord was telling him to take this position. And by taking the position, he became the first black dean of a mostly white university in the history of the United States. So being the dean of... Uh, of the university basically meant that he was the pastor of the university. He did chapels each day. He did teach some classes, but the, but they held services on Sunday as well. And before he had gotten there, there, there was only a, a few dozen people that would show up for Sunday mornings. But after he had gotten there, the chapel on Sundays was suddenly full with, with hundreds of people. And it was the most uh, racially diverse church in all of Boston. Another thing happened. When Howard Thurman got to Boston University, there was a student there working on his doctorate. His name was Martin Luther King Jr. You may have heard of him. He had read some of Howard Thurman's books, and he was highly influenced by him. And now Howard Thurman got to sit and pour into one of the greatest Americans of all time. Now remember, this story started with a kid that society said shouldn't have gone to the eighth grade. But God knew. God knew Howard Thurman. God knew the plans that he had for Howard Thurman. And God knew what he would need to get there. Because 
God knows. God knows the beginning from the end. Psalms 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. In the New Living Translation, it says his understanding is beyond comprehension. And we need to recognize that, that although our understanding is limited, God's understanding is not limited. In fact, it's beyond anything that we could ever, ever comprehend. So our lesson series that we've been in for the last few weeks is, Who is God? And today we're studying the attribute of God that He is all-knowing. Theologically, we call that uh, and I just went blank, sorry. <laughs> That's why it's a practice service, right? Uh, omniscience. If you're taking notes, it is spelled omniscience. Uh, God's omniscience. But all we really need to know and all we need to do is rest in the fact that God knows. He knows the past, He knows the present, and He knows the future. So just to illustrate just to illustrate the fact that God knows, there's about 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. And there's been about 2,000 of those prophecies that have already been fulfilled. Now, if we're just looking at it in just simple terms, the, the, the chance, and I'm just throwing this out here, okay, the chance of one prophecy being fulfilled, we're going to say is one in ten. It's actually lower than that, but 10 is, you know, a nice round number, and my brain can, can function with 10s. So if it's a 1 in 10 chance that one of those prophecies was fulfilled, then for 2,000 of those prophecies to have been fulfilled, it would be a 1 in 10 to the 2,000th power. For those of you that haven't been in school for a while, that would be one with 2,000 zeros after it. I don't even know what that number would be. But basically, it's an absolute improbability that all of these prophecies could have come true. And they're specific prophecies. They're not like... And, and we won't raise our hand, but, you know, if you've ever gone and had tarot cards read or your, your fortune told or something like that, and they say, oh, yes, I see you're going to be lucky in love. Oh, you're, you're, going, you're going to do so well at this and so well at that. I mean, you know, they, they could tell everybody the same thing just makes them happy and they walk out. But the Bible prophecies are very, very specific. Just an example out of Isaiah in chapters 44 and 45 Isaiah prophesies about a king named Cyrus. He said Cyrus will come and Cyrus will destroy Babylon. Cyrus will conquer Egypt. Cyrus will conquer most of the known world. And Cyrus is also going to allow the Jewish captives to go free. Thus allowing them to go back to Jerusalem. Now, the thing is that when Isaiah made this prophecy, it was 150 years before Cyrus was even born. 180 years before Cyrus began to do any of the things that the prophecy said he would do, and he did go on to do all of them. 
but it was also 80 years before the Jewish people were even taken into captivity. But God knew the beginning from the end. God is all-knowing, and his understanding is infinite. We may be finite, but to the degree that we pursue God, he will reveal his plans to us. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, it says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. There are, there are many things that God knows, and he wants to reveal them to us. But I want to show you two things that we have to believe about God's omniscience before he can begin to reveal these deep secrets. And the first thing is that we have to believe is that God knows us. God knows us. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Psalms 139, verse 1, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. So if the Lord knows everything about us, he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? He knows our struggles. And if he already knows our struggles, he's not disappointed when we struggle because we are all going to struggle from time to time, but he's not disappointed in us. Further on down in Psalms 139, it says, even if I made my bed in the grave, now, the King James Version says, even if I made my bed in hell, you would be there. So whatever hell we may be living in, and from time to time we find ourselves in a little bit of hell, don't we? Whatever hell we may be living in, he's there. He knows. He understands what we're going through. And in fact, if we're pursuing God, he's going to go before us. Deuteronomy 1.30 says, The Lord your God goes before you. He himself will fight on your behalf. So if he knows everything, then we don't have to hide anything. We don't have to, to shrink back and pull back from God out of shame. You see, shame becomes obsolete in a true believer's life. Shame becomes nothing more than a moth-eaten remnant of our old self. Even if shame is trying to come against us, even if we're beginning to feel that, 1 John 3.20 says, even if we feel guilty, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Even when we feel guilty. Now, I'm not saying that we don't blow it and there needs to be some remorse. There needs to be some repentance. But I'm talking about that shame that comes along and tries to hold you and keep you. and says you're never going to be anything. You're never going to get free from this. You're never going to get any better. God says when you're feeling that, 
Even, even when your, your, your emotions are telling you that, I'm greater than your emotions. I'm bigger than your feelings. And I know everything. <laughs> he knows all of our mess, yet he still chooses us. He forgives us, and he prepares us with the opportunities to thrive. And if he knows our weaknesses, he also knows our strengths. He also knows our potential. He's gifted us. He's called us. He's anointed us for his purposes. And since he knows us so well, and his plans for our life are better than our own, let's make this our prayer so we can truly walk in step with him. Pray this. Once again, in Psalms 139, if you've never really read through and studied through Psalms 139, go do it. It is a fantastic chapter. But in Psalms 139, verse 23, and I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation, says, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through and find out and find everything that is hidden within me. Now, we believe that God is all-knowing, so he already knows these things. So who's actually finding out what's hidden in us? Us. That's right. He is, he is showing us places in us that are hidden in us. It says, put me to the test and sift through all of my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain that I'm walking on. Lord, expose this in my life. Expose it so you can lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways. The path that brings me back to you. And we may not be way off the path. Now, in my life, I have been way off the path. But there's sometimes that I'm walking the path. You know, got one foot on the path and one foot in the ditch. You ever walk like that? You know, half like that. And we don't even recognize it. And God's just pulling us back into step with him. And that's what we're praying. That's what we're asking the Lord to do. When we invite God to search us deeply, it shows us how we've been trying to do things our own way. How what we've been doing has put us on a path of pain. But as we get back in step with him, the path leads to peace, contentment, and fulfillment, and those are the beginnings of the deep secrets that God wants us to know. But unfortunately, lots of church folks never discover those deep secrets of peace, contentment, and fulfillment. In the early 1800s, there was a 20-year-old guy named uh, Henry Martin, and he was a self-described selfish boy. And at 20 years old, he had gained what, what he had really wanted all of his young life. He wanted honor and recognition. And he had gotten this honor through his study of mathematics at uh, Cambridge University. In fact, he had gotten the, the highest accolades that you could get for mathematics at the time. But he writes that even though he had gained everything he wanted, he still felt empty. In fact, he said, when I got my highest wishes, I felt as if I was grasping for a shadow. There was no substance to it. 
So he decided to stop following his own path and start following the path that God had for him. And he prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, let me burn out for you. He went on to be the first modern missionary to the Muslims in India and northern Africa. He translated the New Testament in, into Persian and Arabic and into some tribal languages. But the thing is that uh, he began to find peace only when he be began to find the plans that God had for him. He recognized that God's plans were better than his plans. Even though he was getting the accolades he wanted, although he was getting the fame that he wanted, it was empty. But when he began to believe that God knew him and had a destiny for him, then he truly began to step in to who he was supposed to be. So if we believe that God knows us, then we have to believe that God knows what we need. God knows what we need. Matthew 6, verse 31, this is a familiar passage of Scripture. But it says, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. These thoughts dominate our lives. And if they dominate our lives, if that's all we live for, is to get bigger, to get better, or how am I going to do this? Am I living in this place of anxiousness all the time? How can I do this? How can I do this? How can I do this? The Bible is truly saying you're not living like a believer. In fact, you're living like an unbeliever. But to live like a believer, we go on to verse 33, Matthew 6, 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything that you need. But I've had to, in my life at times, admit that I don't really trust him to do what he promised to do. So therefore, I try to do it on my own. I try to make it happen on my own. But when I'm doing that, I'm living like an unbeliever. And he's not just interested in our physical needs, but more importantly, he's interested in our spiritual needs. Every person on this planet is a spiritual being. Every person on this planet will live eternally. But where will they spend eternity? And people ask questions about spiritual purpose. They don't realize it, but they're asking the question, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? And God knows that we need spiritual purpose, and he's already planted it in us. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, and I'm reading out of the Amplified Version here, says, He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart. A mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. 
our divine purpose has already been planted in us. And we may even tap into an unpurified version of it by ourselves, but we will only truly be satisfied when we seek the kingdom above all else. So I ask the question, I ask it of myself. Do I really want to connect with divine purpose? Do you really want to connect with divine purpose? Do you want to be alive in God's plans for you? And if we do, we have to believe that God knows us and that he has given us a divine purpose and it will live through us. So we need to ask God about our divine purpose. And when we do, we need to take the suggestion of Howard Thurman. Remember that long story I I told at the beginning, just in case I lost somebody? That was Howard Thurman. In his writings, he said, don't ask God what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people that have come alive. We need to come alive in the purpose that God has planted in us. And to recognize our divine purpose, it helps to understand the power of community. God knows who we are. He knows where you are. And he knows what you need. But how does God practically provide this for us? Well, at times it's through biblical community. And the community here at NCC is here to help you know God and understand how you are known by God. We're here to walk with you through the ups and through the downs because we all have ups and we all have downs. And we're here to help you recognize and awaken the divine purpose that makes you come alive. This is just a little, uh, a little teaser, we'll call it that, for tomorrow night. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of it this morning because I want you to come listen to the, the expanded version of it tomorrow night. But some of the things that we're going to be talking about is, is expanding discipleship here at New Covenant. One way is through shepherds. We're going to have men and women in the body set to be shepherds over the body. There should never, ever be a time where we feel that uh, we are alone or forgotten. And these shepherds, they're here to weep with you when you weep, to rejoice with you when you rejoice. They're here to help you walk this life that God has called you to. We're also starting... The first of, of, of some classes called the grounded classes. And that's to help further a, a deeper understanding of the, the Christian faith. Now, both of those things we're going to do here as we move into the fall. But I want you to have an expectation and I want you to be, to, to be ready to engage as we get into next year. And we're going to see this, this larger discipleship model uh, expand before us. And it'll start when the, somebody walks through that front door for the first time, we will start discipling them immediately. 
and they will have a step until they have come to the place where what makes them come alive is living through them. From his book, Footprints of a Dream, Howard Thurman wrote about the community at the church for the fellowship of all peoples. And this is what he wrote. He said, the movement of the Spirit of God in the hearts of men and women often call them to act against the spirit of the times. What is the spirit of the times that we live in? People rejecting God, moving away from church. So if we're going to truly follow after God, we've got to move against the spirit of the times. He goes on to say, it will cause them to anticipate a spirit which is still in the making. Now I can stand up here and I can share vision and I can talk, but guess what? It's still in the making. And I know some of you really practical people are going, when, 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 when? Soon. It's a spirit that's still in the making. God's working on us. He's working for us to get to where we need to be. He also said that in a moment of dedication, we're given wisdom and courage to dare to do a deed that challenges and kindles hope and inspires. I truly believe that, that here at NCC, now this is not negating any other church because we're not in competition with any other church. We are building the kingdom. I'm just talking about what God has called NCC to do. I believe that we are doing something born of a spirit that's still in the making. And I believe that God's going to give us the courage to build a church where people are welcome. Even people that wouldn't be welcome somewhere else. And I believe that the Lord is building a church where men and women of all races are released into leadership and to ministry. And that ministry will reflect the five ministry callings. The apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher. Not just the pastoral ministry. I love pastors. So let's dare to a deed that doesn't lift up a man that doesn't lift up a church, that doesn't lift up an ideology, but lifts up Jesus. And let's kindle a hope that inspires a generation to seek the kingdom of God above all else. The deep secret that God wants to reveal is that we can shake East Texas and we can impact our community and the world from right here. But we have to believe. We have to believe that he knows us and we have to believe that he knows what we need to accomplish what he's asking us to do. So what do I want you to know? God knows you. God knows what you need. Corporately as a church, but individually. That's the great part of the, of the new covenant. 
The old covenant dealt with a nation. The new covenant deals with me. I have a personal relationship with God. I have a one-on-one relationship with God. And although God is still concerned with the corporate, he's very involved with me individually. And he knows me. He knows what I need. And he knows you. And he knows what you need. So what do I want you to feel? I want you to feel inspired to trust God more than ever. You may be in a place in your life where it, it seems uh, less laid out than it ever has been before. And for, for people that are real detail-oriented, that can be very, very scary. But the Scripture tells us that the steps, the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. That's one step at a time. So we take a step, and the the step that he's asking us to make may be a step that scares us a little bit. It may not seem like it has a whole lot of definition. I'm not sure about this, Lord, but there's just something compelling us to take that step. And I'm going to step into it, Lord. And when we do, he shows us the next step. See, we want to know the end. How am I going to get there? (laughs) Show me all of this. No, step by step step. So feel encouraged to trust God more than ever before. And what do I want you to do? I want you to seek the kingdom above all else. Pursue what makes you come alive. Because that's what the world needs. And that's what the community of NCC needs. The community of NCC is not me, not Pastor Sam, not Pastor Roger. It's all of us. And we need you being who you're called to be just as much as you need me being who I'm supposed to be. Agree with that? Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you that you are all-knowing. I thank you that you, you know everything that we went through this week. You were there with us. Lord, you were even there with us when we went through a painful season. And we were wondering where you were. But Lord, your word says that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So even though it was painful, you were there with us. And you know. You know. Lord, thank you for knowing us individually. Thank you for bringing us into a relationship with you where we are not just a group, but we're sons, we're daughters, and you know each of us individually. You have purpose for us individually. And Lord, thank you for loving us right where we are. Lord, thank you for showing us, even if it seems like there's not enough definition what our next step is. And then, Lord, filling us with faith so we can take it. This morning, Lord, this morning, Lord, I am determined to seek the kingdom of God like I never have before. I'm determined to walk in faith like I never have before. Lord, I'm determined to be alive in what you have planted in me and called me to do like I never have been before. 
Because only then am I really being who you put me on this planet to be. So Holy Spirit, search us. Show us the painful paths. Clean us up so we can be the people of righteousness we've been called to be. In Jesus' name, amen.